You have discovered Season 3 of The 542 and the Blue, a podcast on law enforcement history, issues, investigations, and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Hosted by Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author, and researcher. Scott, we are recording. 4, 3, 2, 1. Thank you again, Victoria, for opening us up and for doing the extra duty today. We have Victoria not only working as our producer, but as our technical technical technician as well. And she's doing a wonderful job keeping us uh, going. As I'm recording this, the United States and the rest of the world is dealing with the coronavirus and we're all doing a lot of self quarantining for lack of a better term Uh, a lot of us that are essential workers uh, law enforcement EMS fire are working hard and dealing with the situation at hand Uh, doing the school system is closed so I'm not working in the schools right now but I am working uh, at the local community college campus police unit to help make sure things flow well over there. Everybody just remember to keep your distance and keep your hands clean until all this is over with. Today's Shade of Blue story for 542 in the Blue is another cold case homicide. Uh, This one is from 1991, April of 1991. The victim is a 23-year-old single mother by the name of Rachel Johnson. She was kidnapped, raped, beaten, and stabbed and set on fire on the night of March 30, 1991. Uh, Her body was left behind for others to find it the next day. Ms. Johnson was a single mother. She had a three-year-old daughter at the time. After interviewing friends and family and completing a canvas of the neighborhood where she was last seen Akron Ohio police were not able to locate a suspect originally what the investigation did show was that Miss Johnson of Talmadge Ohio had spent a Friday evening with some friends in two Akron Ohio bars she left the last establishment with her girlfriend they got into the girlfriend's car and began driving home before they arrived the car got a flat tire according to the police records and media sources from 1991 the driver of the car miss Johnson's friend continued driving on the flat tire which we know is not a good idea and it's not clear why she did so but she kept driving on it and as you would expect the tire became hot The rim became hot and it started filling the car with the smell of burning rubber. Police reports and newspaper reports said Johnson panicked at this point and tried to jump out of the car but was stopped by the driver. Uh, The two women began to argue and it was reported that Johnson yelled out, just let me out of this car, I'm not burning up in any car. And at this point the girlfriend slash driver told her just to get out 
Now, police estimated this to be around 2.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning. She told her friend after the argument that she would find her own way home. A faded gray vehicle of some sort had followed them or was behind them, and investigators said that Johnson either voluntarily got into the vehicle or was forced inside by his driver. The girlfriend continued and somehow was able to drive home on that flat tire, but that was the last time that Johnson was seen alive. Now after investigation, a suspect was developed. Daniel Wilson was taken into custody and a DNA collection was completed with a search warrant. Akron police submitted the sample with the DNA sample collected from the victim from the autopsy. Now this was the beginning of the wait for lab results in this particular homicide. DNA tests on suspects at that time could typically, could typically take up to a year to get the results back. And I can attest to that as having worked in the early 90s in sexual assault investigations. Most of the state labs, including the state of North Carolina, would not take a DNA test unless you had both suspect and victim to compare to. Uh, the main reason for that, I'm sure, was because the developing a database of DNA suspects, the DNA of suspects hadn't really been done yet. Now, results of the DNA comparison test were the key to whether Akron detectives charged Mr. Daniel Wilson with the killing. Akron's chief of detectives told the newspapers in 1991 that investigators won't have any good suspects in the killing if the DNA test does not link Wilson to the case. To quote a major in the detective unit, our case win rise or falls with this DNA test. Wilson is our only good suspect. If it is not him, we are back to square one. Now what brought their attention to Wilson was the fact that the crime was similar to a killing that Wilson was accused of committing previously. Wilson had been accused of murdering a woman whose body was found in her burning car. Wilson at the age of 21 was arrested by the police in Ohio on May 9th for the killing of a Carol Lutz, 24 years old. He was charged with aggravated murder in that investigation. In an attempt to link Wilson to Johnson's death, while he awaited trial for the killing of Lutz, semen was taken from Johnson's body during the autopsy was compared with a blood sample taken from Wilson to see whether the DNA and genetic material matched. Now this request in 1991 was just one over a thousand requests for DNA tests to be done and over a thousand such requests from police agencies in the United States with the FBI scientific analysis section in Washington DC. Now at that time, because of the test complexity and the fact that only 10 analysts were trained and certified to testify in court to DNA comparisons, it can take up to six months before the FBI sends a final report to local police. I know this was according to 
the FBI in a media interview at the time. Lutz was found in the trunk of her burning car. Wilson admitted to killing her, but did deny any involvement in any other deaths, including Mrs. Johnson, Miss Johnson's death. Wilson's attorney denied that the sta statements made by his client were actually confessions in the Lutz homicide, but simply a misunderstanding between the investigators and his client. Well, unfortunately, test results cleared Wilson as the killer of Johnson, but he was still tried and found guilty of the murder of Miss Lutz, whether it was a mis misunderstanding or not. He was still convicted. The slaying was also found to be similar to other killings across the country, and police thought there might be a link to maybe a serial killer in the United States that traveled. Uh, they looked at other homicides in Ohio and other states nearby. The crime matched uh, similar MOs to other reported cases in California, Virginia, and Maryland, Pennsylvania, Canada, and a few other places. Detectives felt what connected these cases was the amount of pain that the killer inflicted upon the victim. The investigation stalled with no more leads. The DNA was put into the FBI's database, but in 20 years, no match was discovered in individuals arrested. The killer remained free for more than two decades after her murder. In 2013, when no change in the investigation was shown, the Ohio Attorney General's Office established because of this case and a few others, the cold case unit, the Ohio Unsolved Homicides Initiative. The unit found that they had good DNA evidence that was collected in the case and dozens of possible suspects had been examined in the 23 years since the crime occurred. They went back and re-interviewed and started the investigation from scratch, but no match was found for the DNA or no confessions or anything that could link one person to this particular homicide. An Akron police detective told the press in 2013, we believe the person who committed this horrific crime is still out there and may have even been talked to or has spoken with someone else about the crime. And of course, they were soliciting any type of input they could, they could get that might point them in the direction of a suspect. Johnson's case was actually just part of about 1,102 cold cases in the state of Ohio in 2013. That's a lot of cases to have to re-review. Now this brings us up to our present day, April of 2020. Now, almost 30 years after the incident, an arrest was finally made with the same DNA evidence used to look for the killer originally. In April of this year, Akron police charged Daniel Reese, R-E-E-S, 57 years old, with the murder of Miss Johnson. 
Reese of Akron, Ohio, was identified as a suspect after a Texas company uploaded the crime scene DNA to a public genealogy website. Distant relatives of Reese had already uploaded their DNA into the website looking for long-lost relatives or just backtracking their own family history. It's very common today, but this led to an eventual match. The detectives, once they located a partial match to the DNA, they ended up having to basically reconstruct a or construct a family tree looking for our suspect. Detectives stated Reeves had been in the same area where Johnson was last seen and actually had known the family. When they did a search of the case file, they found no mention of Reeves being interviewed or even thought of as being connected to the investigation. The detective interviewed in 2020 called Reese a ghost in the investigation. He was nowhere near it, he's quoted as saying. Now, in a simple online records uh, search, you can find that he was arrested for a felony assault near Akron, Ohio, two years after the murder. And after some plea bargaining, he served six months in jail and was released after it had been dropped down to a misdemeanor. He had actually lived across the street from the Johnson family for quite some time and was described as a chameleon by the local police. Now, Caitlin, the daughter of Johnson, who was two years old at the time of her mother's murder, is reported in the Cleveland newspaper as saying, quote, it's crazy that he was hiding right in plain sight. He was at our house quite a lot. We had bonfires and he was always around. Caitlin, who is now 31, was raised by her dad and stepmom and said her family would regularly have bonfires and barbecues and Reeves would often be there. Johnson's daughter further went on to say Reeves had once taken her on a motorcycle ride, invited her into his home, and had attended her brother's wedding and worked with the victim's sister at a printing company. Now we wonder how a person could do this and looking at it, it have to be very cold, I guess. Uh, but Lady Justice, we have to remember, does not age. And of course, working with her sister, Lady Karma, who is also very patient, the case apparently has been solved and is awaiting court. And it's now up to the court, with Reese's facing a court date for murdering of Rachel Johnson. It's up to the courts to follow through and make sure Rachel gets the justice that she deserves. I hope you found this shade of blue interesting. Again, let's try to be safe and secure. Keep washing our hands, keep our social distance. In the coming weeks, try to do something nice for somebody because it'll make you feel better and make them feel better. I hope you found this episode of 542 in the Blue of interest. Come back next time and we'll have hopefully something else you might find of interest. And in the meantime, if you'd like to check out my webpage, Scott 
lunsfordauthor.com. You can see some of the previous podcasts and some links to get back to them. You can also check out some of my books and other information that's available on the website. And you can contact me or reach me through the contact page on the website as well. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas for possible podcasts or research. Okay, Victoria, since you've got the helm today, go ahead and close this out. And we'll talk to you all later. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Hosted by Scott Lunsford. For more information on this podcast, go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. There you can find a link to the podcast website and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can also be reached through the message portal on the contact page. This is Victoria for 542 in the blue. Thank you for listening. 2. 1. End.